wanted to start off with. Second Peter chapter, and we have been studying this book now since, I guess, May or June. And, um, no, we've been studying this book since the beginning. We started this thing right off the bat, I believe. So we've been studying this book since last Sunday in March. And we're now almost to finish the book. We are just about there where we're going to finish the thing up. And we are right now, Peter is surmising what he said in chapter 3 and some, and actually the whole book. Look what he says in verse 3 and on, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible says, Knowing this first, that, in the, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blemish. Now, Father, lead us as we study your word. Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to be here in an uncanny way this morning, Lord, in an unusual way, that, Lord, his power might rest upon me and upon these people, Lord, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank the family we've got here, Lord, in the way that, Lord, we're seeing growth in each member. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the Bible study, Lord, and the attitude, Lord, that we had last night. We pray, Father, you'll bless now. Rightly divide your word for us this morning, for it's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we laid out for you verse 8 and talked about it last night. The Bible says, one day the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Last night, unplanned to anybody, we took the four watches of Mark chapter 13 and laid those things out and showed you how that uh, Psalm chapter 90 teaches you that they are in exact agreement with the seven days. Now, just to briefly say this, the Bible says that the things God made that you can see, He made them to teach you about the things you cannot see. God made the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. We know that the seventh day is the millennial rest. We know that before the millennium has got to be a seven years of tribulation. We took that thing two weeks ago and told you that if our calendar is correct, the tribulation should start around 1989. And we've got to be taken out before 89. Now, I told the people last night, if, um, if, if 1990 shows up, I won't feel bad. I mean, I'll feel bad that I'm not gone, but I won't feel bad about what I've taught. Because I've said all along, if our calendar is right, our calendar could be 15 years off, it could be 20 years off, I don't know how far off it is. Nobody really knows because Pope Gregory really did some playing with it. So, if our calendar is correct, 
and the Bible is right. And last night we've, we've now looked at two as a group. We've looked at the, set, the seven days. We've looked at the watches. There are two more timetables in the Scripture that I'm sure we will get to before long that tell you, and all four agree, when He's coming. Last night, Julie asked the question about Daniel's 70 weeks, and we saw uncannily how that God laid out in Daniel chapter 9 the day and the hour that Jesus Christ would ride in on His donkey. And we show how specific God is. And in John chapter 12, last night we saw that he rode in on the very day and the very hour, 483 years later, after Daniel received the prophecy from Gabriel the angel. So God is very much a God of timetable. Amen? Y'all believe that? Now, we were, Sam was mentioning last night how it is really sinking in how close we are. That we may only have, and last night I figured it up on a piece of paper, and we have like 1,056 days left. That's not many days. We, I made the comment, my car will be paid for, but will not be paid for then. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking a three-year loan here. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're talking short term, you know. Um, my son may never get saved. He may never reach the age of accountability before Jesus comes. I pray that happens. I pray that happens. But see, that puts me in an awkward position. What if he reaches the age and doesn't accept him right away? Could that gap be when he comes? Could maybe Jonathan go to hell? See, those, there's a lot of things to consider. So he's coming, amen? Is he coming? I want that to be the theme with which we build this church on. He's coming, amen? I want to be vocal. I want you to say, hey, he's coming. That's the theme of your Bible. That's the theme of the church. Everything. He's coming, you better get right. He's coming, you better get saved. He's coming, we better live holy, amen? Okay, I'm going to... Really pound that in there until you guys really believe that as strongly as I do. Because if that Bible is true, and is it? Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are doing good this morning. I like where you're, you're talking to me. Now, so he's coming. And we don't know exactly when, but it's close. We see that the fig tree's leaves are out. We see, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, the times and seasons are here. Y'all know it's getting to be fall. All the walnut trees losing their leaves, aren't they? There's no more flies. And the grasshoppers move real slow, right? And so we know that winter is coming. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that when you see all these things come to pass, know that summer is nigh. He's coming. He's coming. Last week we discussed the renovation of the earth by fire. We took through that thing and we took about an hour and a half on that last week. And we laid out for you God triggering the whole universe and the whole thing going up in smoke. We laid it out for you in Revelation chapter 20 when it happens, when the devil and his multitudes encamp the saints, of, er, go around the, the camp of the saints in, in Revelation chapter 20 to, to take, over the, take over the earth after the millennium. God calls down fire from heaven and with that fire, Jesus Christ then sets the fuse and the whole universe goes up in smoke. And the whole universe is then purged of sin once and for all, there forever. So you know what we're looking at? Peter's, the theme of the entire book of Second Peter is this. Hey, Christian, it's coming and it's close. And he asks the question in verse 11 that we're going to look at this morning. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in a whole holy conversation and godliness. Now, a minute ago, I played cheerleader. And I got the resounding amen. And we had, you guys are just spaced real nice and even. I can just back and forth all the morning. I played cheerleader. 
And I got amens, and I'm seeing the eyes brighten, and the fire start to spark in the eyes, and I'm really seeing that you're putting it together, and you're saying, hey, we're not going to be here very much longer. Rod, you may never get the upstairs done, bud. It just may never happen. After all that, well, that was not a slander on Roger's diligence. That was that he may not have time. And so what manner of persons ought we to be? Do you understand how pivotal what I've said this morning is to where you live your life? If he's coming this year, boy, we better get busy, haven't we? I don't know, if we talked about hell, we had a Bible study on hell. We talked about the opening of the millennium with all the satyrs and the beasts and the mouth of hell in the millennium. We talked about that. If we talked about actual hell, how that Isaiah 66 talks about men are going to be worms and how that they're going to be just a man with a worm with a face with no hands and no legs, just wiggling like a worm in the rain, gnashing their teeth and screaming. I mean, hell's a terrible place. Dr. Bob Jones Sr., as he began Bob Jones University, said, I'd like to take every preacher boy that comes out of my school to go out and preach and hang them over the mouth of hell for 24 hours and then turn loose on the world. But what could it be when you hung on a rope over hell and watched those people in there for 24 hours? What, what a burden that must be. Louis Pasteur said, um, the great atheist, I shouldn't say the great atheist, the, uh, the uh, infidel, said, if... if the Bible was true, and Christians believed what they said they believed, the Bible's taught. He said that a hell was a literal place, and it is really everything, that, everything that, that, um, that the Bible says it is. He said, I would walk around this earth warning and telling men, and when I couldn't walk, I'd crawl, and I'd crawl till I couldn't go anymore, warning men of literal hell. And because Christians don't act like that, I will never be saved. And so, that's the attitude that the, unworld, the unsaved world sees. Now, the Bible puts such a burden and such responsibility upon us as God's people. Because is he coming? Amen. Is he coming? Amen. Definitely coming. Amen. I mean, it, our lives should be that we'll disappoint the night when we go to bed and didn't come today. I mean, that's the living on the edge. Just disappointed that uh, Darla didn't get to go back to school Monday. I mean, she just should be so ready for him to come. That you, you, that you just, you know, you, you don't get to fulfill next week's plans. It's like, uh, uh, you know, I've got everything I own willed out at work. I tell them all the time, work, well, if, if, uh, if I'm not here Monday and I'm gone, you can have my car, you can have my house, and I just, I just divvy it all out as far as I know everybody my family's going, and I'm not too terribly concerned, you know, who gets it, you know, because I don't care. It's just going to be dissolved and burned in about ten years later, so, you know, who really cares? And although that temple wouldn't last that long. And, um... So, you know, I've got everything willed out. And we should live our lives in such a way like he's coming today. Because it could be. I've taught you guys how that the Antichrist has got to come into power. I've taught you guys that how he doesn't, he's, the covenant begins, the tribulation begins when he signs a document with Israel in Daniel chapter 9. And how that he's just not going to be elected and sign the covenant the same day. There's, 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 there's cushions of time. It very well could be in 1985. Very well could be. Now, what does, this, what does this suggest to us? Let me go through this morning with you some logical suggestions as far as, as far as what we should do. Peter asked the question, verse 11 again, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, the chair you're sitting on, the house we're meeting in, your house, your job, everything, your cars, everything is going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? The word godliness means being like God. Now, a couple, a couple things that we need to, to understand before I can continue. 
Do you all know that God hates sin? I mean, He hates sin. I mean, He cannot tolerate sin. It is disgusting to Him. Which opens a whole can of worms. Let's talk about that. I'm not going to do this morning. If God hates sin, and I'm to have God's mind, what should I do with sin? Hate it. Don't we tolerate it? Don't we just kind of live in there? Do you guys watch the perfect picture of that in our Bible? You guys, the Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul with the dirty, filthy conversation of the world. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah so long, became part of the city council, sat in the gate with them, the Bible says, and his soul was vexed with their filthy conversation. Should we, we should not allow ourselves to be Lot. See, Lot is a picture of a man, a Jew in the tribulation, caught up out of the sinful world, but he's vexed with sin. Picture of the Jew in the tribulation. I'm sure it also apply to the church. How that we're going to be vexed with sin. Aren't God's people tangled in sin today? Honestly? Do you know many Christians who are just holy, righteous men not tolerating the works of unrighteousness and darkness? There's not many around today, are there? There's not many Billy Sundays running around today closing down taverns and bars and putting prostitutes out of work. There's just not much hatred of sin. We like sin. Sin's become part of our lifestyle. Second thing to understand, when God hates sin, secondly, God will judge sin. Amen? You know, the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Right? If you sin, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap death. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life everlasting. If you sin, you're going to pay for it, right? I mean, I don't care if you're born again. I'm not saying you'll go to hell. I'm saying if you're playing with sin, understand sin has its consequences. Amen? Amen. Get you guys wound up make you agree with me this morning. This is a very much of a particip participation message. And that was a terrible word. Number three, God will judge sin very soon. God's going to judge it. That's the theme of 2 Peter. He gave us four or five examples in 2 and 3 about God judging sin. The scoffers say, Where, when's he coming? Verse uh, 4, verse 3. When's he coming? When's he coming? He is coming. He is coming. Now, Peter then asks the question in verse 11. What manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons ought you to be? What a question. What a question. Now, I'm going to look at this thing three ways. I want to ask that question, what manner of person, and I'm talking to me this morning, should I be? And I'm going to look at it in three different lights. Number one, toward, my, toward myself. Number two, toward God. And number three, toward others. He's coming, amen? How should I live? Toward myself, toward God, and toward others. Number one, turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Sam, when it's five till, raise your hand and give me a five, and then count down to four, okay, and three, and we'll pretend like we're on TV at the Baptist Temple. Matthew chapter 6. Look at me in verse 33. Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? Bible says that... There's a Bible point. The Bible says that everything that, that, that God does, everything that God says, first, seek Him and God will supply all your other needs. Now, we need to serve God rather than mammon. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to serve God. Grab with me chapter 6 and verse 24. Read with me a couple verses, please. Matthew 6, 24. The Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will hold of the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the physicalness, money, physical materialism, okay? Verse 25, therefore I say unto you, now, what do you mean, therefore? He says, because you can't serve two masters, he says, therefore I say unto you, pick, pick and choose, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Interesting, isn't it? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not yet much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a, to a stature? Anybody here think about it and make yourself an inch taller? Verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, so, he shall, so he not, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or where shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, Jesus here is not teaching us, Dad, go quit your job and preach. He's not teaching that. In fact, Paul said, and you've got to take all the counsel of God in consideration, Paul said, if a man will not care for his own family, he's worse than an infidel. I have a responsibility to feed my wife and my son, and so do every other breadwinner in here this, this morning. But the point of the matter is this, where is your heart? Are the, are the things of building the ivory palaces around you preeminent in your life? I, uh, I, I, am, I am amazed as I watch unsaved men. You ever watch an unsaved man? He gave him a pretty good job, and all he does is spend, 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 or hoard, 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 hoard. There's not really very much of a balance in there. They're either buying something or going in debt and buying and getting and accumulating a new VCR, a new waterbed, a new car, two new cars, you know, the new kitchen, uh, uh, you know, I'm saying that's, that stuff's wrong. But that's the goal in life, isn't it? That's, that's really all they've got is just whatever you can put upon this body. And that's all an unsafe man's got. Hey, I hope he has a great time while he's here, don't you? I really do. He's got a miserable eternity coming. He really does. Or you've got the other guy, a guy at work, I guess one of the salesmen. I guess the guy's worth several mil, and all he does is gather. He spends 50 bucks in his car and he's about for three days. I mean, he just complains and gripes, and every time it costs him a quarter for lunch, he complains. <laughs> he's got oil wells all over the place, and he's all he doesn't complain about money. And that's the way men is. They either do away, kind of, do, and just gather. You've, you've read the stories about the people with the money in the mattress, and I've got illustrations I use in messages where a lady even does this, and lives like a pauper and has no heat in her house and burns in a, in a, in a barrel in her front room to heat the house and dies and leaves, you know, three and a half million dollars in the mattress. I mean, it's, it's asinine. 
But the point of the matter is, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Now the question is this, who are you going to serve? Who is important to you? So first off, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what you should do toward yourself because he's coming. Now how do you do that? Okay, very quickly, grab Romans chapter 6 with me. Romans chapter 6. How am I going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? 6.12, please. Romans 6.12. How do I do this? How do I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The Bible says in Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What does the word reign mean? That's, yeah, amen. That's what a king does. He reigns. He's in control. Do you know how believers usually run? They, either, they always run hot or cold for some reason. You don't find many Christians in the middle. They're either really giving it for God or they're just playing games and letting sin have its way. That's generally the way you find it. The Bible says, Don't let sin reign your mortal bodies. Verse 13, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, the Bible says. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Now look at verse 16 very carefully. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The Bible says very plainly that if you yield your body to sin, if you're hung up on materialism or whatever your little pet is, the Bible says that you're the servant of that sin. And you can't serve two masters, Jesus said in Matthew 6. Either one or the other. One or the other. Now, so what do, how do I live righteously toward God? Bible says, I yield my members unto righteousness, not unto righteousness. I taught you guys early on as we began this church that you are dead to self. Do you remember that, those messages? How that you were crucified with Christ, so this not I, but the life I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God who gave himself for me. The Bible says in early in Romans chapter 6 that when you got saved, you were baptized in his body. Remember that? And you were crucified the flesh every day. Remember that? Probably need to go through that again, just, just as a refresher course. That you need to every day die to self. Paul said, I die daily. The Bible says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed, this will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect acceptable of God. So the Bible says that you are to every day die to self. Every day you say, Lord, here I am. Now, Lord, if Dave runs the show today, I'm going to find myself about this deep in sin. I really am. Because I'm going to, my mind is going to start doing all kinds of things, and I'm going to find myself, after about a week, just as nasty as I can be. That's the way my nature is. And if you're honest, yours is that way too. So, what you got to do is you say, Lord, here am I. And you just hang yourself up on the, uh, up on the cross, or put yourself up on the altar, and let the Holy Spirit go from ear to ear. And just say, here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Second thing of how to do it, look at Colossians chapter 3 with me, please. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. 
I would encourage you to memorize the first three verses or four verses of Colossians chapter 3. Last night we talked about studying your Bible. We talked about reading, exhortation, and doctrine. You need to add a fourth thing to that. Memorization. Why? David said in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart. What's the rest of the verse? So the way you, not, you don't sin is by memorizing. What happened when Jesus was tempted to the devil in the wilderness? What did he say? He quoted scripture. Amen? So if you're going to overcome sin in your life, it's by the scripture. Nobody's going to have your, your new Cambridge with you. You're going, to, you're going to have to have it hidden in your heart that you might not sin against Christ. Colossians 3.1 Colossians 3.1 Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay? Bible says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2, Colossians 3.2 Set your affections on things above, not on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now notice, there's two resounding themes so far this morning in our scripture reading. Number one, set your affections on things above, not on the earth. You can't serve two masters. And number two, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You ever been to a funeral? You ever been to a funeral and the, the, the guy in the coffin sit up and say, Bring me a drink of water? <laughs> I mean, you'd lose your dentures, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd die. I mean, you, they put you in a coffin right next to the guy. It doesn't happen. I mean, you know, you walk up to that, 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 that shell and stick it with pins, burn it, Anything you want to do, what's that thing do? Nothing. Nothing. It just lays there. What is it? It's nothing but a clay shell, right? All the life is gone. The Bible says that's what you're to do. You're to die to self. If, if and when you reach that place of spiritual maturity, when you're completely emptied and he's completely full, you'll have no, no emotions of your own, no feelings of your own. Do you see how you can serve other people without getting your emotions stepped on? without getting your, your feelings hurt, without having problems in which the body of Christ affect you, you're dead. They don't bother you. Go ahead and kick me, beat on me. That's fine. I'm here to serve you. That's what Jesus was, wasn't it? Go ahead and crucify me. I'm here to save you. I'm here to save you. Jesus Christ, our example. So understand, if he's coming, is he still coming? Amen. I mean, is he really coming? That's fair. If he's really coming, you then need to do two things. Uh, we're talking about this morning. Number one, choose whom you're going to serve. God or mammon. Still work. Still cut wood. Still do all the things to take care of your family. Just, just get your priorities right. God looks on the heart. That's all God cares about. Is why are you doing what you're doing? And number two, proper affections. Proper affections and then be righteous, not unrighteous. Righteous, not unrighteous. If you look in your life, we talked about briefly last night, if you look in your life and God says, see that right there, Dave? Yes, Lord, I see that. That needs to be, needs to be taken care of. Don't say no. Say yes. Yes, Lord, I'll get rid of it. And the Bible says repentance is a changing of your mind in regard to that. A changing of your mind in regard to sin. So henceforth. Number two in our message this morning. If he's coming, what manner of persons ought you to be toward God? toward God. Turn me back one book to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Philippians 3.10 The Bible says, verse 7, 
What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now look at verse 10. You need to have this thing underlined in your Bible. You need to become a theme verse in your life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his what? We keep talking about that this morning, don't we? Did you want to come to church this morning and hear about death? I'll propose next Saturday night we, um, we'll all get together, have Cokes, popcorn, we get a pizza and talk about dying. We can talk about coffins, size of coffins, talk about, uh, you know, death wear, the latest in death wear, you know. Get, huh? Oh, yeah. Here we got an expert in our midst. We got an expert in our midst. We can talk about death. This is, I like doing it. I do it every day. Yeah. That's just not your favorite subject. I mean, that's just not the way to entertain, is it? You're going to talk about death. I mean, I'm not just talking about the, the, the facts. I'm talking about, let's just, let's just dwell on death a while. You know, let's just, let's just think about it. You say you're morbid. That's what death, morbid means, death. Now, what are you supposed to do? That I may know him and his power. Stop. Every eye and ear upon me, please. Jesus Christ did not die so you could be ordinary. Let that sink in. Is the power of God resting upon you? Tomorrow, or let's do it this way, yesterday, did you see the power of God in your life? If you did, hallelujah. If you didn't, it should have been there, and it can be there tomorrow. Do you realize when the Spirit of God controls you that the power of God permeates? Do you understand that? And that's your job. You are nothing but a dead person being controlled by somebody else. And then the power of God, the one controlling you, then is, is, is uh, permeated from, from, from you. So number one, you know it's power. The power of God. Just when Stephen was being stoned, and when Jesus was around and Paul, the Bible says that their power of their, of their person was so powerful that people couldn't argue with them. I'll tell you one thing. You ever want to argue with me? Argue with me out there or at the church. Never argue with a man while he's in the pulpit. You will never win. Honestly, I've tried it. You'll never win. I mean, you can be right, but if the man is preaching in the pulpit of God and, and, and as a minister of God, you know what will happen? You'll never win. The power of God's upon him. Catch him when he's out in the yard, when the power's gone, when he's just Joe, Joe Blow. Seriously, you will never win. See, but the Bible says we should have that power all the time. That power, that permeation should be there as the Spirit of God is just people. I mentioned last night, Job 26, those six probable questions that judge me to Christ. One of those questions is, whose spirit came from thee? Do people look at you and see the Spirit of God and the power of God? You say, not all the time. Boy, we got a goal, don't we? We have a goal. Number two, the verse says, and the fellowship of of his suffering. Now we've talked about this quite a bit the last three months. Is it five till? <coughs> Is it really? I started. You're supposed to argue with me. I'm supposed to argue with you. 
Hurry. Fellowship with suffering. Do you understand? And if you look, read Fanny Crosby's songs, do you understand how close you get to Jesus Christ when the fire is hot? Now you can do two things. Suffering will do two things. It will drive you from God or it will pull you to Him. It's a test. But oh, how sweet. And oh, I hate it though. But oh, how sweet when your life's falling apart to wrap up and wrap your arms around His legs or to put your head on His bosom and just cry on your God's shoulder. It's fellowship. It's sweetness. Fellowship with suffering. Number two, number three, and, and, and toward God. Just being intimate with God. You ever, have you ever, have you experienced yet? Just getting your Bible open, no problems, no nothing real particular to talk to him about, and just getting there with God and just spending time with him. I love it when Jonathan and I. Every night I wait to come home from work, and my son walks the door and he says, "Let's fight." And that's the first thing he says when I come to the door. Let's fight. So our house is circular. I mean, the front room's here, the bedroom, bathroom, bedroom. And so we have a track. And my son and I, we play Kentucky Derby for the first 45 minutes I'm home. He'll be chasing me around, and I'll stop my door, and he'll run around and buy it, and I'll follow him around the house, you know. And we play. And we, we fight, don't we? Don't we, Jonathan? He's got something on his mind. And um, so we fight, and we run around, we play, and we hide. I love those times. I really do. He can be a tough little kid, too. And, and I love those times because what I'm fellowshipping with him. And we'll get down, and we'll be pounding on each other, you know, and we'll get down, and I'll grab him and roll my back and just hug him, and he'll give me a kiss. I sure missed you today, Daddy. And that's sweet. That's so sweet. Do you come home from work at night, pour your, pour your Bible to your bosom, say, I sure missed you today, Daddy. And then they talk to you, tell you how much he loves you, how much he's concerned about you. That's why knowing your Bible is really sweet. You can know all the doctrines in the world, you can lay out the tribulation, the millennium, the second coming, but if you don't know him, it's all in vain. Fellowship through intimacy. Psalm 119 is 179 verses, and that's Psalm. Only four verses do not mention God's word. Do you know his word toward God? And lastly, do you know God's ways? Very quickly, turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Do you understand that when you come to God, you've got to scrap everything you know? Do you realize how foreign that is to most Christians? You know, as most Christians get saved and they come to God and they put God in their world? They really do. They come to God and say, okay, now God, you saved me. I'm part of your family. We play with my rules. That's why there's all these wrong concepts in God's church. Look what Isaiah 55, 8 says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the, heaven is, or for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth into bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Do you understand that God's ways aren't your ways and God's thoughts aren't your thoughts?
the very basic premise of Christianity, this is not a popular thing I'm going to say, is you have got to trash everything you've learned the last 30 years and let God reteach you. You've got to change your mind. And in the next service, we're going to talk about repentance. Not going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about just the word of changing of your mind as far as what God wants. Because most of us, by our Christian upbringing, do not know what God wants. We know what the denomination wants. We know what our, our perceptions have given us. But we do not know God's thoughts. Is that it? Amen? Is that truth? Okay. Thirdly, how should I be toward others? Grab with me 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me in verse 11, please. Let's grab verse 10 and get a run at it. I got a little tape left, Sam. I'm going to run along. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us May, may receive the thing... Well, did I miss something? That's right. Everyone may receive the things done in his body uh, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Look at the next verse very closely. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Wow. The terror of the Lord. Now I understand talking about the thing doctrinally. I understand we're talking about Christians there. I really do. But let me for a minute just depart from the doctrinal context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you know how terrible God is? I mean, I mean, if you read in your Bible back there where the Bible says he, 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 his fire came out of his nostrils and the earth did shake and the hills were moved lightly. He roared and the heavens shuddered and rolled together as a scroll. He speaks... You know, and, 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 and the earth goes into in the, in the, uh, convulsions. Take a real good stormy night. When there's a clap of thunder about every 15 or 20 seconds. And there's a little twister somewhere in the neighborhood. And everything's going on. And imagine the power of God. And that's this little storm he's made. You understand the Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We need to persuade men three ways. Number one, we need to persuade men, they need a Savior. Amen? Amen. We need a Savior. I want to look at two passages very quickly. Look at Job chapter 9. The book of Job is just prior to the book of Psalms. Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Very interesting passage of Scripture. Very, very interesting. Why? We have a friend. What is your name? We have a visitor this morning. Grasshopper. Do you realize, by the way, that, that there were pictures in your Bible? Do you remember back there when the children of Israel went to the Promised Land and they saw the sons of Anak, the giants? They said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. You study that word grasshopper in your Bible. You'll find it's an interesting thing. Good morning. Job chapter 9. Then Job answered and said, I know, it is, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? 
That's the question of all ages. How should a man be just with God? It's not possible. Is there anything that you can do, my friend, that would make you justified with God? You can't even get close. Look at verse 3. This is the great one for sinners. If he will contend with him, the man will contend with God, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. You know what that tells you, that verse right there? The great white throne judgment. God's going to have that man up there and God's going to say, and God's going to question him and ask him some questions. And the Bible says that that man cannot answer him one word out of every thousand words God says. There is no defense, no, no defense with God. You know, that, you know what that makes us? Totally worthless to God. It really does. There's nothing in you that's good. You know anything that you can do to make God happy? Die to self. Verse 4. He is wise in a heart, mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Wow! Who has shook their fist in God's face and God's not gotten even? Verse 5. Which removeth the mountains and they know not. Which overturneth them in his anger. You ever been to the Rockies? I mean, those are some big hunks of rock. Anybody here turn a mountain over when you get mad? I mean, you can throw a plate, possibly, kick a chair, you know. What, what Can you move a mountain? Verse 6, Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not. Let's try that one. Let's all go out in the front yard now, and let's all get our combined psychic forces together, and let's make the sun stand still. Joshua did it. God says he commands the sun doesn't rise and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh um, Arcturus, Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. What a God! His wonders that He does, you couldn't even begin to number them. With the, with the biggest computer around. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, and I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away, and who can hinder him? Anybody stop God this morning? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him? and choose out my words to reason with him. Whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. For he breaketh me with tempest, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take breath, but filleth me with bitterness. Verse 20. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, he shall also prove me perverse. Do you understand Job 9.20 says that the great white throne judgment, every man is going to condemn himself to hell with his own lips. Wow. Do you guys, even the, the old biggest old rascal that hated God, He's going to say, when he sees and stands before Jehovah and Jesus Christ, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And he's going to step off the parapet of heaven into hell. That's going to be a day, isn't it? 
My question to you is this this morning. If that's the way God is, shouldn't we be busy? Shouldn't we be busy? Very quickly turn to Ezekiel 18.4. Ezekiel 18.4. Almost done. Ezekiel 18.4. The Bible says, Behold, all souls are mine. God owns everybody. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not a, not a person can get around it. You sin, you're going to die. Amen? Is that right? Got it. Come on in. Okay, quickly in, 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 uh, in conclusion... Number one, we're talking about toward others. Number one, people need a savior. Number two, need a master. Grab me very quickly back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were there a minute ago. About the judgment of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Need a master. The Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. My friend, knowing that God is coming back and that He's going to judge the deeds of every one of us, we need a master. We need somebody who's going to rule our lives and save us from the terror of God. And lastly, you know what, you know what we need more than anything else? We need a God.